Good morning, everyone. Okay. Oh. All right. It's my joy to be with you. Um, <clears throat> we sang some wonderful, wonderful songs this morning. Um, wonderful songs focused on the cross, on the gospel. Wonderful, wonderful truths. It's a joy, joy to sing them with you. It's a joy to fellowship with you. And now it's my privilege to open God's word for you. Now we're going to take a brief break from our sermon series on the gospel of Mark. We'll get back to it pretty soon. But this morning and in a couple of sermons to follow, uh, we'll be looking at some very practical aspects of how the local church should function. A few months ago, you might remember, I preached a sermon called Our Mission. And as part of that sermon, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, which talks about God's plan, His design for helping Christians grow in the character He calls them to and helping them live in the way He has called them to, to help them become mature disciples. And that is through the local church. That is God's design. I said then that if we compared the task of discipleship, the task of helping Christians grow, if we compared that task to baking bread rolls, then the church is the oven. The church is where discipleship happens. The church is the necessary environment for Christians growing. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16 says this, And He, that is Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, and that is all Christians, that's what that means, the saints, all Christians, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God, fullness of of Christ, excuse me, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind uh, of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Note the particular process God has ordained here. Apostles and prophets have given us God's word. They've spoken God's word. And we've got it recorded for us right here in our Bibles. Okay? We believe that the time for apostles and prophets is past. 
and that we now have God's word recorded for us in our Bibles. Evangelists then share the gospel with the lost and call them to repentance and faith. And then pastors and teachers take God's word and preach it, teach it to believers, equipping them to do the work of the ministry. And then those believers who have now been equipped by God's word speak the truth of God's word in love to one another. And the result of all that is that we all grow together. Today, I want us to spend some good time thinking about this phrase, speaking the truth in love. I want us to get a clearer picture of what it means so that we can both take advantage of it for our own growth and maturing as a disciple of Jesus, and so we can be faithful in doing it for the growth of others and their maturing as disciples of Jesus. So let's start off with this question. What is speaking the truth in love? What is it? Well, speaking the truth in love is when we speak biblical truth to each other in a loving way. In one sense, we can say that we, that we, that we speak truth in love because it is an act of love in and of itself. When we speak truth, necessary or helpful truth, into somebody's life. We speak truth to others, mindful of what they need to learn, mindful of what they might need to be reminded of, or of what will help them think accurately and respond helpfully to the difficulties they may be going through at a given time. Sometimes speaking the truth is difficult. It's awkward. Sometimes people don't like it when we speak the truth to them. And that's why a proverb like Proverbs 27.6 is there in the scriptures. It tells us, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. See, we live in a world where people love to flatter. They love to tell you things you want to hear. Being flattered may be a pleasant experience, much like being kissed, like kisses, but ultimately it's not what is good for you. It might as well come from an enemy, even if it's coming from someone who thinks of themselves as a friend. It's not really helping you. On the other hand, right, being told hard truths feels a lot like getting wounded. It cuts, it hurts. It's not pleasant in the moment, but it is actually for your good. And so this is what faithful friends do. This is a bit of a silly example, but imagine you had a friend who wanted to be a singer for a living, but they can't sing well. They can't sing well at all. Okay? Now all their other friends are cheering them on, which encourages them, right, to focus more and more of their efforts and energies into pursuing this dream. And it even gets to the point when they're about to quit their day job 
and give themselves full time to pursuing becoming a singer. And then other friends still cheer them on, right? Now they love that, but is that really helpful? Is that really loving? But that doesn't mean, right, the fact that the loving thing to do is to help this person see reality, right? That doesn't mean that we should just let loose with the truth, right? The truth, as we've already said, can cut, it can hurt. So we must not cut like butchers. Our goal, rather, is to be surgeons. Cutting with great care and only as necessary with the goal of healing. We don't need to be unnecessary, blunt, and unkind. Rather, we aim to say things that are difficult to hear in a way that softens the blow as much as possible. We do our best to make the hard things we might have to say be easier to receive. Gentleness is important. You'll see Scripture calls us to gentleness again and again and again. The words you choose, the tone you use, it's all important. Carefulness about the timing and the setting of these conversations is important too. If we're going to talk to someone about something sensitive, we, we want to do it in private, right? And, and in an opportunity when there's appropriate time to talk through it. And speaking the truth in love requires the necessary patience and perseverance with those we're seeking to help. In love, we need to have a willingness to put in the work of really walking a road with someone instead of just blasting them with truth and walking away. It's been said that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. People are much more willing to hear hard things from you when they know that you're on their side and you want their best and you're with them all the way to the end. And you're saying these things, these hard things, not out of some joy you get in judging and criticizing them, but because you really want to help them. Ephesians 4 tells us, right, that as we do this, as we speak the truth in love into each other's lives, God grows us. Secondly, who needs to receive the truth spoken in love? We all do. We all do. Our specific needs are going to vary some in terms of what truth it is that we still need to learn or what truth we most need to be reminded of at a given time in terms of our life circumstances. But we all need this. According to Ephesians 4, this is how we all grow. And my friends, if our goal is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, if our goal is Christ-likeness, we all have more growing to do. We all need to receive the ministry of, being, of, of, of God's Word spoken to us, spoken into our life in love. Thirdly, who should speak the truth in love? 
This is a ministry of every Christian. Every Christian. God has saved you. If you are, if you are a Christian, God has saved you with every intention of growing you. And he saved you with every intention of using you in the lives of others. That is normal for every Christian. Listen to this from Ephesians 2, starting in verse 8. For by grace, grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God saved you by his grace, and he prepared good works beforehand for you to walk in. That's for each one of us, for every Christian. Good works that God has prepared specifically for you as an individual to walk in. This This should blow us away, friends. This should blow us away. I mean, think about this. When Enschlanschla first came to saving faith years ago, right? It was already God's plan. It was already God's intention. This is amazing, right? It was already God's intention that he would work with Daniel and that they would have Bible studies together in their lunch breaks and that God would use Enschlunschla to help Daniel understand the gospel so that Daniel would come to saving faith. It didn't just happen. It was always God's plan. Now, how amazing is it that we get to be a part of that? Isn't that incredible? I I hope you see that it is. It's, It's wonderful. And these good works that we're talking about here in this passage... It includes a wide variety of things, right? You know, some of us may be much more service-oriented people, uh, gifted by God specifically in those ways. We, we mostly function behind the scenes, doing practical things for people. And, and that is wonderful. It's, it's part of God's design that we are gifted in different ways to, to fulfill the role, the, the, the role of different parts of the body, right? Arms, legs, eyes, nose, etc. But it would be a mistake for us to think that because some of us uh, are gifted in these different ways, that God doesn't intend for every one of us to speak the truth to others in love. This is something that God has called every Christian to. Much like evangelism, right? There's there's definitely some people who are more gifted in evangelism, but God does call every Christian to share the gospel with others. Now, with ministries like teaching, with discipleship, with counseling... Definitely not all of us have, have that gifting. 
and even on a more low-key scale, some of us can talk to very comfortably to absolutely anyone and everyone, right? Even people we've just, just met. And other, others of us struggle a lot more to get a conversation going. That's, that's okay. That's okay. That's, God's made us different. But Ephesians 4, again, tells us, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Each Christian is part of the body of Christ, and Paul says the body grows as every joint, as each part works, as each part speaks the truth in love. If you've not been a Christian for very long, or you don't yet know the Bible very well, I want to encourage you, this ministry is still for you. As long as you point others to what the Bible says, you can have confidence that you're pointing them in the right direction. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Even Nishlanshla prayed something along those lines. It's so wonderful that when we're giving counsel to people, when we're looking for direction in life, that we don't have to, we don't have to wonder which opinion is the right one. We can look to God's word. And so the little bit you know, right? If you, if you know what God's word says, you can pass it on to others. Keep learning, keep learning, and keep passing on to others what you learn. Now let's think of some examples of speaking the truth in love. You know, if we look through our New Testament, we see a wide, wide, wide variety of ways that we should be lovingly speaking truth into the lives of other Christians. We are to teach or instruct others with biblical truth. So, you know, actually, if they, they don't yet know doctrine, they don't yet know, 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 know Bible content, they don't yet know theology, we need to actually teach that. Um, we need to train them also how to practically live out the various aspects of the Christian life. Not just what God calls us to, but also how to do it. And we'll look more at, more at that, uh, more at uh, this topic, this category, I guess, of speaking the truth in love to one another. We'll look more at this in a moment. But here's some, some other categories. We need to encourage those who are weary or fearful or tempted to give up. We need to exhort each other to action, which means we need to strongly call one another to do the things God has called us to do. We need to, as our memory verse, uh, our current memory verse says it, we need to stir each other up to love and good works, to being proactive and intentional about doing good in the world and being a blessing to others. We need to warn those who are putting themselves in the way of temptation. We need to correct, admonish, even rebuke those who are getting caught up in sin. We need to comfort those who are going through difficult trials or experiencing sadness and grief. And hopefully we'll, we'll have a chance to look at 
some several more of these categories in the next few weeks. But specifically today, let's look a little bit more at this category of teaching or instructing and training one another. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul tells Timothy, he says, What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, when we receive biblical truth, we need to pass it on. We need to teach others. And we should strive to be faithful, to be people who are recognized as trustworthy in our intentionality and our diligence in teaching others also. Let it not be so that the truth goes as far as us and then stops. No, we want to be faithful to teach it to others too. And here's an example of practical training. In Titus 2, Paul says, Older women are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. It says here that women who have lived the Christian life for longer should not just teach content to younger or newer Christian women, but should train them in what that looks like practically, in the how, how to live a God-honoring life. Now, let me just make a quick side note here. You know, I said earlier that the most important thing is that we speak God's word. We, 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 we share what God's word says to one another. And some of us will not uh, know as much as others, but we can and must still do the best we can. We must still pass on what we know from God's Word. And the same is true here when it comes to this this aspect of, of life experience. Experience is hugely valuable, hugely valuable. There's so much for us to learn from people Uh, who have spent years, years, seeking to apply what God calls them to in day-to-day life. This is part of God's design, right? To learn from these people who can now train us from all the lessons that they've learned in the trenches, so to speak. But there is power in God's Word, and there's power in His Word even when I don't have years of experience to speak from. Now, just personally, I, I, can, I can testify to this. I, I, I was a youth pastor in the States for a few years, and I was, I was a youth pastor before I was married, before I had children. And at various points, I remember feeling very out of my depth, having to talk to parents about how they could parent in a more God-honoring way having to, to talk to husbands and wives about uh, what they could do to, to save their marriage that was on the rocks. And you know, you know, by God's mercy, some of the most distinct ways I've ever seen him use me in ministry were in situations like that, where I had to say, look, obviously I'm not married, but here's what God's word says. Don't give up. 
Hang in there. Trust God. Believe His promises. Do what He calls you to. And God still worked. So here's the balance. If you don't have years of experience walking with God in a certain area, still teach and train others according to what God's, what God's Word says. But then I'd say this. Also, if possible, look to connect them with a faithful Christian who can share with them some of the practical lessons they've learned about applying God's Word and honoring God in that area of life. Right? So, in that exact example I was talking about, longer term, it'd be great to then connect the struggling couple with a couple that does have a healthy marriage and, and to let that couple walk with them and continue to help them. See, this is the wonderful thing, right? I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit here, but God's given us His Word and He's given us the church. And that includes... People with different gifts, people with different life experiences. This, this, and, and it's a great thing when we can take advantage of that and say, you know, uh, this, this doesn't have to all be me. Because ultimately God's helping you. And if he's helping you through me, he's helping you through me as I, as I just tell you what his word says. And uh, in, in the church, yeah, you know, I, you know if you, you want to talk to me about how you're struggling to uh, uh, navigate a situation with your family that wants to do some ancestor rituals and stuff, I can talk to you out of God's word. But I can also say to you, you know what, maybe have a chat with Nshlanshla about that. Have a chat with Dumi about that. Okay? And, 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 and it's wonderful how God can do that. Right? That's part of why cross-cultural ministry is even possible. Right? Because it doesn't, I, I don't have to have all the answers. Okay? I don't have to have all the life experience. Um, we have God's word and we have each other. And God's working through it all. Okay. Now, the reality, my friends, is that Christians need to learn a lot. Remember, when you become a new Christian, you're a baby spiritually. You're a baby spiritually. And children have a lot to learn. And children are in a very dangerous place on their own. A very dangerous place on their own. They need to grow significantly before they get to the point where they can face life with any competence, right? Now, Ephesians 4 illustrates this for us with the picture of children being tossed to and fro by false teachings and life's ups and downs, right? It's like a, like a little, little boat on a stormy sea, here and there. And then it contrasts that with the picture of a mature man able to stand his ground under the same circumstances. Maybe one way to think about it would be like walking along the coast, and the waves coming in, right? And imagine a little, a little kid. Imagine Umi. She just barely started walking, right? And there she is walking right as the water touches the sand. And then the, the, the tide's coming in, right? And then in comes a wave that's come, coming in further than all the other waves have come so far. 
She's got no hope, man. She's going to get knocked off her feet. She's going to find her face planted deep in the sand. But a grown man walking just a few steps behind her, the same force, the same impact hits him, and he's unmoved. Unmoved. Right? That's the goal, one of the goals, one of the key goals of our growth, according to Ephesians 4 here, to be able to stand on the truth, to be able to honor God in all of life, no matter what comes our way. False teachers come, and we know the truth. We know that they're talking rubbish, and we can stand on the truth. Cancer comes, start facing either the the death of a loved one or, or even death ourselves, and we're unmoved. We're unmoved. We know what's true. We know what it looks like to honor God in this situation. We know how to live out the Christian life in these circumstances. In the letters we have from the Apostle Paul, he often takes the first half or so of the book to teach foundational truth about who God is and what he's done for us through the death of Jesus on the cross. And then he switches and he takes the second half of the book to look at a whole variety of ways that our lives should change now that we have become Christians. So after three chapters of laying down key doctrinal truths in Ephesians, in Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Right? To walk, that's a, a metaphor for life, for day-to-day living. Now that you're a Christian, now that you know all this amazing truth, now that you know and comprehend what God has done for you, here's how you live. There's a way, Paul says, that we should live now that is fitting and right and worthy, so to speak, of all that God has done for us. And most simply, right, this means that our whole allegiance belongs to God. But it also means that there's a new way of life that we should live out that only that we can only really understand in light of who God is and what he's done for us. Okay? So we 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 miss out if we just jump to the commands. We need the doctrine at the beginning because the commands make the most sense in light of the doctrine at the beginning. Let me show you a few examples. Ephesians 5:2 Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Okay? doesn't just say live a life of love. He says live a life of love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Colossians 3.13 As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you 
for the glory of God. Doesn't matter if there's racial tensions, it doesn't matter if this per- particular person's personality drives you nuts. Your family in Christ, welcome them. Welcome them in as Christ has welcomed you. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This last one is is a particularly good example because oftentimes non-Christians will scoff, right? They'll scoff at the fact that the Bible says that, that men should be the leaders in their marriage and that women should submit to their husbands. It's thought of as such an archaic, old-aged sort of thinking, right? But they've got it completely wrong. Because how does the Bible say that men should lead in their marriages? By laying down their lives like Jesus did. By giving themselves, living their lives for the good of their wives. The very last thing that Christian marriage is, is an opportunity for men to be jerks to their wives and boss them around because they're in charge. No way! So people might think they understand what Christianity says, but they don't get it if they don't get the doctrine it's built on, right? They don't understand what Christian marriage really is if they don't understand the gospel. Men lead in their marriages, yes, but they lead in a way that is shaped by how God has loved us. So, what am I getting at with this? I'm I'm trying to drive home that it only makes sense that a newer Christian has a lot to learn. A lot to learn. And my friends, this is not something to be embarrassed by or ashamed of. It just is. Okay. A newer Christian has to learn not just the key doctrinal truths of what we believe, right? But they also have to learn how to view life through those truths, as if those truths are, are, are a set of glasses. And they don't see clearly until they have the glasses. And they have to learn now how to see everything differently. To illustrate this, take a look at Ephesians 4.17 and following. Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. In other words, Paul says, yeah, look, now that you're a Christian, you can't keep living like the Gentiles do. And in, in this point, he's, he's talking about people who, don't, who, who are not Christians. You can't keep living the way you used to live, the way that other non-Christians live. No. Their thinking about life, Paul says, is futile. It's, it's meaningless. It's empty. Because they don't know God. They don't understand life accurately. 
In the verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So not only do they not view life accurately, but they've been warped by sin and are no longer sensitive to it. They've become calloused, right? Like the hands of a bricklayer who no longer gets blisters despite his hours and hours of hard work, right? Over time, you've got to the point where sinning doesn't even bother you. It's just a way of life. Paul continues in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, right? You need to know what the truth is. You need to be remind yourself and be reminded by others of what the truth is, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Then verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Brothers and sisters, our whole life needs to change. Our whole way of viewing things needs to change. There is a lot to learn. And unfortunately, some of, some of us, right, we're, we're umis. Remember I said she's just learning how to walk? Okay? You're, you're, you're barely even a toddler. And you're wandering around on the streets without your family, thinking you're going to be just fine. You're not. <laughs> you're not. You need your family. You need the church. You need the church. Just as one practical example, if, if you're a young Christian and you're dating currently, I can almost guarantee you that if you, if you haven't been getting counsel from other Christians, I can almost guarantee you that you're doing something wrong, if not a lot of things wrong. I can almost guarantee you that without even realizing it, you, you're dating the way the Gentiles do, Right? Because it's what you've known. It's what you've been exposed to. It's what everyone around you is doing. And so without even realizing it, you are going about dating in a worldly way that doesn't honor the Lord. You're going about dating in a way that is, is a temptation to you or a temptation to the person you're dating. You're going about dating in a way that's very selfish. You're going about dating in a way that is, is not honoring to God. And so my point in this is just, is just this, right? Get counsel. Learn from other Christians. Learn from people who have already taken God's word and thought through how it applies to this situation, to this area of life. You don't have to figure it out on your own. God, God doesn't expect you to. He's given you the church. And the same is true when you think about how you can honor God as, an, as a student, as an employee, as a son, a daughter, as a friend, as an evangelist, as a church member, as a husband or wife, as a parent, 
how you can honor God with your emotions, with your speech, in your humor, in your entertainment choices, with your sexual desires, with your use of money, with your use of time, and in the midst of trials or great sadness and loss. My friends, do you know how to honor God and how you address your pride, your insecurities, your anxieties and fears? What should you do about the desire you feel to please and impress other people? Are your ambitions God-honoring? And so on and so on. Do you know how to pray? Do you know how to read your Bible and understand it accurately? Do you know how to draw practical application for your life from what you read in the Bible? Do you know how to fight temptation? Do you know how to kill sin? Do you know how you can grow in your love for God? My friends, you are not on your own in this. In God's design, he's given you a family that is following Jesus with you. He's given you a community that is there to speak the truth in love into your life to help you follow Jesus and grow. Isn't that wonderful? Okay. So, how can you make the most of this in the church? Okay, first of all, as our memory verse says, right, don't neglect meeting together. Don't neglect meeting together. Come faithfully on Sundays. This simple, humble little gathering is more important than you realize. This is God's design. And when you come, listen to the sermon attentively. This isn't just something we're doing to pass the time. This isn't just something you're doing for head knowledge. This is something you need to learn so that you know how to apply it in your life and so you know how to help others apply it in their lives. Listen. Listen. And as much as you're able, try and come to our gospel community groups. Okay? Our gospel community groups are midweek gatherings, smaller groups. So there's one group that meets in my home in Danville. It's a group that meets in Jimmy and Dupur's home in Karankua. And what we do is we talk about the sermon. We, we make sure that we've understood it. And we make sure that we have thought through what difference it should make in our lives. How should we apply the sermon? It's a great place for asking questions. Not just, again, not just about the text, but about, but, but how? How do I actually do what the text, what the Bible's calling me to do? It's also a great place for you to get to know each other better, to know what's going on in each other's lives, to know what, what need there is, right, in this person's life for truth to be spoken to. Okay? And you build these relationships, and the better you know each other, the better the context is to just, as a way of life, speak truth into each other's lives. And the same is true. Look, we've got much, much the same opportunity with ladies' Bible studies. And uh, we're going to look to start men's Bible studies soon as well. But official church events are not the only opportunities for this. I encourage you also, just be intentional about developing friendships in the church. Friendships that are going to be centered on Christ and centered on encouraging one another in your walk with God. Brothers and sisters, do you see God's kindness in not leaving us to ourselves, 
He saved us by His grace. He's given us His Word, right? And His Word, which we remember from our previous memory verse, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, for helping us live a God-honoring life. And He's given us the Holy Spirit who helps us understand His Word and helps us apply it and live it out in our lives, who gives us the strength and the power we need to fight our sin and to live a righteous life. And He's given us a community to help us by speaking truth into our lives in love. Praise God for this kindness, and please, please, take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. It's there for your good. And I hope also that you see the immense privilege it is that God intends to use us in one another's lives. God intends to use you, Christian. We're not just saved and then tucked off in a corner somewhere, right? We are slap bang in the middle of what God is doing in this world. Are you amazed that God intends to transform the lives of other Christians through you? Because he does. He does intend to do that. And I hope you're eager then to take opportunities to be used by God in this way. Take the opportunities and, and, and be eager also to be further equipped, right, in God's words that you can help others even more into the future. Praise God. Amen. Yeah.